if you call 911 to get somebody there to save this person's life, we don't prosecute you. Um, minutes matter. Uh, you may have more time. It depends on how much fentanyl, how much opioids actually in their system as to how quick they potentially could overdose. But um, again, if you want to do a quick test, you can do the sternum rub. And if they don't react, if you don't have Narcan, call 911. It literally could save somebody's life. Ooh, I need to be Welcome back to Mom Nation from the Heart. And now a word from our sponsor. Hey y'all, Katie here, founder of Mom Nation and owner and operator of Team Evo AZ at EXP Realty, your go-to gal for anything real estate in the state of Arizona. I am the sponsor of today's show. I will link my page and information in the show notes so you can quickly and easily get in touch with me should you need anything real estate, any advice, or maybe you're looking to get into the business. I sure hope you enjoy today's show. Thanks for listening. Hey, Mom Nation, we are back with another episode of From the Heart, where we share inspirational stories, useful information, and we discuss a wide variety of women-related and mama-related topics. I am Katie, the founder of Mom Nation, and I am your host here today. Today, we have an extremely special guest. I am so, so excited. Thank you so much for your time. We have Kent with the Pinal County Attorney's Office with us. We're going to be talking about something that we should all be concerned about, right, Kent? Absolutely. Unfortunately, this is a, a tragedy that that's striking everybody across the country. Yeah, um, I've, I've been seeing it on there's a few documentaries on, I don't know if it's Netflix or Hulu or whatever, one of those that I watch at night. And um, it's scary stuff. I, I've been glued to the to the television a couple of nights in a row. There's, there's a few of them out there. So it's, it's fentanyl, guys. I mean, it's really something that I'm unfortunately I know some people that it has personally affected. They've lost their children. It's scary stuff. I'm hearing from moms um, that have kids in, in all sorts of schools all around the valley and they have concerns there. These are things that are getting traded in the bathrooms I'm hearing. Maybe you can tell me a little bit more. Um, so let's start at the beginning. When did this start to become a problem? So you almost have to take a step back real quick, just so I can kind of explain what fentanyl really is. So, so fentanyl is not necessarily this evil, vile thing. It actually is a very important medical um, breakthrough. And, and what it was actually designed for is it's designed for those people that are at the end stages of their life that are in hospice, that are in extreme care. And it's really a, a medication that's designed to take your pain away. It, it's very powerful, very sedative. So it has a, a great value. Um, but what we found out is uh, it has an even better street value um, because what happened is we had people that started kind of on the East Coast and on the East Coast, heroin became very big, East and West Coast, it started out there. Um, but in order to take heroin, you have to, to use a needle. Um, and a lot of people don't wanna, you know, you, you light your heroin up, you, you have to burn it. It's a very messy process. It's a very dirty process. And you have to find a needle. You have to intravenously inject the substance into your veins. A lot of people didn't wanna do that. Um, so what they found is they could get an even better high than that heroin if they took one single little pill. Uh, and what happened is we've seen this for a, a last probably eight to 10 years. We saw it on the East Coast and it started coming you know, to the central part of, of the country. And then it's been in San Diego, or excuse me, San Francisco for a number of years as well. Um, but for Arizona, where I'm from, it's really just within the last two or three years hit us hard. I, I can put it in the perspective real, real quickly. In 2019, about 2% of all of our drugs involved fentanyl. 
in 2020, about 11%, and now it's almost 25% of all of our drugs involve fentanyl. So we've seen this just rapid increase like we've never seen before in the criminal justice community. Wow. And so on the street, I'm assuming that it's not regulated like it would be if you're in the hospital or getting it at hospice, right? So talk to me a little bit about that. That's such an important point. Uh, I, I talked about how it's hospital medical grade. That is not the stuff that we're getting in pills. Instead, what is coming over is coming from overseas. It's being mixed oftentimes with um, acetaminophen, which is generic Tylenol. So it just gets ground up in a bucket or a machine. They put a little bit of the powder in, they mix it. You can buy a pill press. They stamp them as M30s. They look no different than a regular Oxy. They dye them blue, uh, but there is no regulation. So when the FDA makes medically approved medication, there's a very strict process that has to go through. There's all this testing and it has to mix so many times. And it's, it's a very controlled process when you're making, you know, uh, black market drugs that there's none of those controls in place. So the pills themselves, the, the actual amount of fentanyl in each pill is not consistent. You could get one pill that has a couple flecks of sand equivalents of fentanyl in one pill. The second pill could have five times as much. The difference between those is you get really high and pass out or you get high pass out, die, and, and you know, you're never, you're never to be seen from again. And it can come out of the exact same package. So there's no regulation. There's no control. There's, at least in Arizona, there is no market whatsoever for um for medical grade fentanyl because it's so tightly controlled because it's so powerful that doesn't exist on our streets. It's only the back door or excuse me, black uh, market drugs, black market. Crazy. So on one of these documentaries, I saw that, um, overseas, like you had mentioned, you can't locate these types of companies. It's very, very difficult to get any information on them, but you can actually buy pill presses with the numbers on like Amazon or something like that. That is accurate. You can buy a pill press um, and you can buy a pill stamp. You can go onto your Amazon account right now and order it for relatively cheap, hundred, maybe $150. Wow. Wow. So what should parents be concerned about? How's, how's this getting into our children's hands? What age group is this affecting? I mean, I've got, my son's going to be eight years old on Friday and I'm scared to death about this. And we're already talking about this at the dinner table. So that's the first thing you need to have the conversation with your kids. Um, you need to explain what's going on. Uh, one of the things that makes this so difficult is how inexpensive these pills are. Um, you know, here in Arizona, uh, in Tucson, for example, there's reports of as cheap as $2 a pill. Wow. So, uh, you know, you, you can barely buy a hamburger, you know, off the dollar menu for that. And yeah. you can go get this pill. So there's not a, an age that this is not impacting. Um, you know, once kids hit essentially junior high and high school where they start, you know, experimenting, where they start testing boundaries, where they start testing limits. Uh, unfortunately, here in our community, within the last couple months, we had a seventh grader um, who overdosed, who was bored at home, um, didn't like online school, uh, chose to take a pill to help just numb himself so he could get through the class and ultimately passed away, succumbed to, to overdose because he was sitting there. Nobody checked on him for a while. He was not resuscitated and, and he lost his life. Uh, so, you, you know, you're talking, a, what, a 13-year-old? Um, you said you have an eight-year-old. I, I have an 11-year-old, excuse me, a 12-year-old. He'd be mad if I said he was 11. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, we have to have those conversations and they're really difficult conversations. You know, it's the kind of roll your eyes, like, give me a break. Yeah, 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 I know. Um, but this is not like when, when we were children. You know, I, I didn't participate, but I remember hearing like Skittle parties where everybody throws some pills and you take a pill. 
now you're playing Russian roulette. Um, th there's a real chance that that pill has a toxic level of fentanyl in it. So this is a one time can cost you your life. Uh, the kids just need it. We need to have that conversation. I mean, there, there, I wish I could tell you there's a way that law enforcement could prosecute our way out of this. I wish I could tell you that cops could just arrest everybody and get everybody, you know, off the street and we could just, you know, take all of this away. That's not practical. Um, substance abuse has been around for a really long time. I'll, I'll put it into perspective for you in Pinal County. 40% of all of our criminal felony charges are drug related. Um, and if wow. you, if you, well, and that's possession, possession, sale, or transfer of drugs. If you include DUI, if you include burglarized a home to feed your habit, if you included gotten an assault um, while you're under the influence, if you include drug deals gone bad, it's about 85% of all felony crimes that happen in our community relate back to substance use and abuse. So we can't just arrest our way out of it. We really have to just talk with our kids, educate our kids. Um, and I mean, the, the other issue we see is there's this balance that we don't want to glorify it because if we talk so much about it, then it's suddenly, ooh, I, I want to see what's so exciting about it. So you really have to have an honest and candid conversation about why this is bad, why this is, this is different than a lot of other things. You know, we tell them, don't drink alcohol, don't, you know, don't smoke weed, don't do whatever this. And some of the kids are like, well, if I'm not supposed to, it must mean it's pretty good. Yeah. This is different than those. And that's, I think, incumbent upon parents and guardians and loved ones and, and grandparents and aunts and uncles that are help raising our kids to make sure that, that we have a conversation and make sure they understand how this is different. Are there any um, age appropriate videos that you're aware of or any sort of classes, anything that our parents could here in Arizona, of course, um, get kids involved in so that because as parents, there's so much to talk to kids about. I, I almost feel like, well, am I saying the right thing? Like, right. like you said, you know, am I more glorifying it than giving him the information that he needs to make the best decision? So is there any help out there for parents? I don't have a great resource for you. I, I wish I did. I'm going to give you one resource that I hate to even tell you because we would hope we never need it. But there's a group called Sonoran Prevention Works. Um, Sonoran, obviously referencing the Sonoran Desert, but really it's prevention works. And what they'll do is they'll sit down and they'll put in your community, um, they'll do a presentation where they'll talk about the way the fentanyl and opioids actually work. They'll talk about how, um, how overdoses actually happen. Because I think, again, one of the, um, I guess, myths around an opioid overdose is that it must be awful. You know, think about if you have too much to drink, if you've ever gotten drunk, like, gosh, it's awful. You know, there's that point where you fall over the edge and then you feel terrible. You wake up the next morning and it's absolutely awful. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you start throwing up and it's terrible. Opioid overdoses don't work that way. Instead, you become very happy. You, you become very calm and you just fall asleep and then slowly everything shuts down. So there's not like this retching. It's not this awful convulsive. It's actually a very peaceful and very calm way. But again, think about what it's designed for. When fentanyl and these opioids, they're designed for, you know, opioids, morphine was in the Civil War. When you amputated somebody's leg, you gave them morphine because you were trying to calm them. You're trying to relax them. You're trying to put them to sleep so they could recover. Um, Sonoran Prevention Works will, will kind of go through and they'll explain the way it actually works, the science behind it. And then they talk with you about a very difficult subject, and that's Narcan. Um, and, and Narcan is the name brand for the, the opioid overdose drug. Uh, and they'll actually provide you a free um a free, essentially it's a needle and two little canisters of Narcan. Uh, because if somebody does overdose, you can then 
undo that overdose by injecting Narcan. So law enforcement gets the nasal sprays. Uh, yeah. The nasal sprays are, are very costly. They also don't always work perfectly because you have to be breathing for it to actually penetrate in. So mm -hmm. they give you an intravenous needle. Um, and I've been through the presentation uh, personally a couple different times. Uh, actually, in this uh, thing right behind me, I actually have a, a thing of Narcan. Um, I would tell you, I think you need to understand it. And, and they, they kind of talk with you. Uh, Sonoran Prevention works. It, they explain sort of the process and they, they do give you some tips. They're the people that I would go to. Um, they're the professionals. They're the experts in the field to say, hey, what's an age appropriate for, you know, a 10-year-old kid to have this conversation? Um, but they also will give you that. So it's there if you run into it. The other thing about Narcan that's sort of unusual is there's no negative impacts if you administer it unnecessarily. Oh, good. Um, so let's say, for example, you thought that, that this person, you know, overdosed on opioids and, and you inject them with it and you're wrong. There's no harm other than, you know, obviously they had a needle going through the leg. Nobody's going to like that. Um, the, the other thing that I, I want to kind of warn everybody about with Narcan is I explained when you overdose, again, it's, it's, you know, think of, you know, this incredible euphoria, the happiest, calmest, greatest feeling you've ever had when you overdose you don't know that you've overdosed. So when they give you Narcan, uh, the way it's been described to me, if, if you're coming back from opioids, it's like the worst flu you've ever heard where every joint in your body hurts, where you hurt, you have a pounding headache. Sometimes you throw up. Um, so you go from feeling happy as you've ever felt in your entire life with this pure euphoria to now you are in just excruciating, awful pain and you're angry. Uh, you know, I, I have a brother-in-law who's a firefighter who's personally saved 25 or 30 people with Narcan, reversed their overdoses. But on probably 20 of those, he's actually had to physically restrain the person when they tried to assault him. I mean, he's been punched in the face. He's been kicked. He's been assaulted because the person doesn't know what's going on. They go from happiness, sleeping to waking up. There's a person over top of them. This person's hurt them. So they're, you know, they're in a fight or flight mechanism. So um, it, the whole process is, is very very weird, but it's not, it's not what we expect. Uh, and, and I think that's what's really important. Cause I think sometimes, you know, the, the seven-year-old or excuse me, the seventh grader that I described that passed away, his family was there. His family thought he fell asleep. Wow. Um, had, had his mother or father had Narcan, had they, you know, actually given him the, the Narcan injection, he probably would be with us today. So, you know, they're dealing with just an un, indescribable amount of personal guilt. I mean, mom was like vacuuming and, you know, was, was literally cleaning the house when he was there. So, uh, you know, I hate to use these specific stories, but, but this is the reality. This is what people are facing. So a couple of questions out of that. Um, what, so, so it looks like they're falling asleep. So there's no like foaming at the mouth, eyes rolling in the back of the head kind of thing. I mean, it's like, Hey, my kid's taking a nap. Generally speaking, no. Uh, it, it is a very calm. And again, what you just slow down. So your breathing slows, just like you do when you sleep, your temperature drops a little bit and you just close your eyes. But what happens is your heart stops beating, your lungs stop expanding and, and you, you pass. How would a parent be able to differentiate that? So that's Sonoran Prevention Works. If you're afraid they have you do what's called a sternum rub. So, that, you know, the sternum is your, your breast plate, right where your ribs come in. And if you take your knuckles and you rub on that, uh, you will get a reaction. If even if the person is sleeping, if anything other than an overdose, they're going to relax. They're going to react because it's it's a pain reaction. Uh, if you're overdosing, there's no reaction to it. So EMTs, um, paramedics, they'll actually go and they'll do a sternum rub, and it hurts. Like I just did that to myself hard enough. Now I'm gonna have a bruise there. Yeah, yeah. 
you push hard, but if there's no reaction to it, then you know they're overdosing. And that's what Sonoran Prevention Works really does. Like I would encourage every mother, again, even if you don't think it's ever going to be your kid, it could be your kid's friend. It could be somebody else. It could be, you know, your brother who makes bad decisions. It could be your sister's boyfriend who you can't stand. Um, I, it's going to take you an hour, an hour and a half to attend a class. They, they do them all over the place. There's no cost to you whatsoever other than your time. I would encourage everybody to do it because they do help you recognize some of the signs, but they also give you tips about how to talk with people. Uh, you know, just again, perfect world abstinence. Don't use again. Stop cold, you dummy. I mean, but if that worked, 85% of my cases wouldn't involve drugs. They talk about other ways to talk with people about how, you know, they, they're going away from really that shaming and they're more about discussing, you know, what's the root behind it? What can we do to make sure that your needs are being met and those type of things? So it's a great group. Again, it's a, it's nonprofit. They're funded, I believe, almost exclusively by grants from the government to try and address this issue. So to me, I, I, was, I wish everybody could sit through it because it's an educational um, thing. I learned personally, I learned a ton. I'm just sitting there. I've learned almost as much from them as everything else. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. I'm definitely going to look into it. I'm very interested in taking that class and, and talking with them. Um, so that, that brings me to a couple of questions also. So, I mean, you're kind of in the thick of this. So you know firsthand what kind of a problem it is for us and how alarming it, it truly is. Would you suggest, I mean, obviously speaking with Sonoran Prevention Works, um, but would you suggest after doing that, having like, should every household have Narcan? I wish I could tell you no, but there's no harm in having it. Yeah. They, they give it to you. You don't have to pay for it. Um, and if it saves one person's life, I would say yes. You know, when I started doing this three years ago, um, going to, that's the very first time that I attended this Sonoran Prevention Works class. Um, in our county, it was only 2% of our drug cases involved fentanyl. Like I said, now we're at 22%. Way back then, there were four Arizonans that were overdosing every single day. Um, that number is exponentially higher. You know, Pinal County, we're the third largest county in the state. We've got about half a million residents. Uh, our law enforcement is getting called out to usually about two overdoses every day on average. Wow. Um, now, an overdose doesn't mean that they've died. Uh, it doesn't mean that they've passed, but that, that they have had you know, they need Narcan, they need medical treatment. So that is, that's how prevalent it is. So I, all of us want to think, look, there's nobody in my family. There's no chance it would be anybody that I know would be involved. And the reality is that's not the case. So uh, yes, as much as it pains me to say this, I, I would say, get it, get it and have it. Um, you know, I did divorce work before I did this. What I would tell my clients in divorce cases, I would rather have the information and not need it than need the information and not have it. That's how I feel about Narcan. I'd rather have it and not need it rather than need it and not have it. Yeah, absolutely. And there was this one mom in, in the um, documentary that I was watching that said she had hesitated on getting some because she didn't want to be judged. She didn't want people to think, hey, you know, it was your kid, you know, or whatever. And at this point with it being the problem that it is, like, who cares? It, it, it could help a neighbor, you know, it could help my friend across the street. Who knows? Absolutely. And again, they don't, you know, there's not some public list where it's like, oh, this person has Narcan where they can, you know, go to the internet and see who's there. It's not done like that at all. In fact, most pharmacies carry them and you can get the, the nose spray, um, but I think you do have to pay for that. So um, again, I, I think that's great if you can get it, but if you can get something that they're going to provide you for free, that could save your child, your child's friends, a family member, a neighbor, frankly, it could be somebody on the street. If you could save somebody's life, um, I think that's the human thing to do. 
yeah, totally worth it. So you had mentioned, um, gosh, my heart breaks for this family, but you had mentioned the seventh grader um, was kind of uninterested in online school. Um, what, and, and this may be a really difficult question to answer, um, but what kinds of signs as parents should we be looking for in our children's behavior, maybe their change in behavior, maybe the way they take care of themselves? I don't know, what, what should we be looking for um, that kind of might give us an indication, hey, we need to start being more detailed in our kids' lives? That is the toughest question to answer because kids' um, willingness and tolerance for trying new things and pushing boundaries tends to coincide with their maturation process. So as they're starting to hit puberty, you know, as they're starting to grow, as they're starting to, to get zits and, and all of the lovely stuff that puberty brings with it, that's when they're starting to explore. So it, it, there's not a, a really defined, this is something that is clearly a, a, you know, a definite sign that your kid is using. Um, obviously, there's the common stuff. If they're really withdrawn, if they're really depressed, if they want to spend a lot of time alone. But the problem is that's also just a moody 13-year-old teenage boy uh, or yeah. you know, teenage girl. So it, it's very, very difficult. Um, and the problem is these pills, they're little blue pills. I mean, they're, they are easy to hide. Easy to leave. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they, they look almost indistinguishable from an leaf. Um, that, wow. that would be the closest thing to look at. Uh, and, you know, if they're hiding stuff, I mean, it's the same signs that the same things that you did when you were, you know, maybe a teenager starting to drink or starting to maybe if you had marijuana or whatever you had the problem is the signs are the exact same. It's just the drug is so much more deadly and powerful. So there's not really a, a kind of catch all for this. Um, I will tell you one of the very uh, surprising areas where uh, it gets people that ordinarily you would not expect to um, perhaps get in involved with the drug scene is uh, those that have had serious like sports injuries. Um, for example, if I tore my ACL, let's say I'm the star football player in my junior year, I tear, tear my ACL. Well, because of the pain, because of the surgery, they end up giving you prescription drugs that you use to address the underlying pain. If you become addicted to those drugs, and some of us just do, some of us have a very low tolerance. And if you take a couple, suddenly you get this addictive quality. Um, Years ago, if they really wanted something, their only option would be to get heroin. Again, nobody wants to put a dirty needle in their arm. Um, but what they can do now is for a couple bucks, I mean, what they can do is swap their lunch money out. They, you know, the, the $4 you give, you know, your, your son or your daughter for lunch, they can go buy a couple pills and those pills will last six to eight hours. So that's one of the areas where we're really seeing it hitting people that nobody expected. It was kids that otherwise have, you know, honor roll students who have done everything that you would expect from your kid and they, they're just completely shocked. But a lot of times you can trace it back to these football injuries or a shoulder injury or, you know, person that had a back injury. Um, those are the type of things where we're seeing kids that ordinarily you wouldn't expect to be experimenting with drugs really are. Uh, and then you see other kids that just go to a party. Um, again, you're, you're a teenage kid, you're a 15, 16, shoot, you could be a 20 year old. You go to a college party, you kind of want to fit in, um, you know, you think, oh, the, the worst that's going to happen is I'm going to have a bad trip or, you know, I'm going to get sick and I'm going to throw up. That's no longer the case. So that there's not there's I, I just wish I could tell you, look, if you see X, Y or Z jump on it, it's not. That's why the education and the conversation with your kiddos is is really the best thing that we can do. 
And I mean, these days as parents, it's not like when we were kids. I mean, we, we have to be really on top of what they're doing, what they're doing on social media. You know, I talked with Stacy from your office a couple of weeks ago, and we learned about all sorts of different apps that kids are communicating with, with strangers on. And I mean, there, I'm sure there's a variety of ways that they're getting their hands on this, but I'm certain that's probably a way also. So I'll give you another thing that's interesting to me. So, I, you know, I've been in this job for five years. And uh, I do a lot of things with our sheriff where we kind of do educational stuff for, for our um, residents. And um, one of the things that he noticed and I checked and verified is most home burglaries now, you know, think 20 years ago, you'd take a big screen TV, you would take the jewelry, you would take, you know, glass or whatever it was, the China, you know, whatever you thought you could get money for stereos. Uh, now there's two things that are stolen, your meds from your medicine cabinet and guns. Wow. I, There's, I mean, look, people steal jewelry and stuff, but by and large, those are the two things people are looking for. They're looking for prescription drugs and they are looking for guns. So if you have prescription drugs uh, in your medicine cabinet, get rid of them. Um, Every police station has what looks like an old school mailbox that's sitting there where you can drop off prescription drugs. Get rid of them because those are of value. Uh, If you, heaven forbid, your your mother, your father, or your aunt or your uncle is, you know, dying from cancer or something like that, and they have hospice, hospice willy-nilly gives meds out. And I'm not knocking hospice. They have such an important role. And, but they're, what they're trying to do is they're trying to um, prevent people from being in excruciating pain in order to prevent them from having excruciating pain. You give more and more powerful drugs. They give them as much as they need to keep them, you know, at peace. But Mm -hmm. once they pass, there are all of these drugs and those drugs are incredibly easy to get your hands on. And they're, Again, they have fentanyl, they have all of those drugs. So that's another thing parents can do is just, if your prescription's done, get rid of it. Don't flush it down the toilet. Don't throw it in the trash can. Um, just take it to your local police station. Next time you go out to, to get groceries, police won't think a single thing about it. We do drug takebacks all of the time, all the law enforcement community does, but that's another area where they get a lot of them. And even if they want fentanyl, they can take another pill and they can trade it in value to get the fentanyl that they want. Wow. So it's just incredible. It blows my mind. I know I'm full of good news, aren't I? You really are. (laughs) Okay. So back to the ODing Um, as a parent, or maybe if there are some teenagers, hopefully listening to this and they happen to be at a party and they happen to witness this, how much time, once you determine that somebody is ODing, how much time do you have to save them? What if you don't have Narcan on hand? Call 911. So we do have a good Samaritan law um, that protects people. So even if you're at a party that you're not supposed to be, even if you're using drugs that you're not supposed to, if you call 911 to get somebody there to save this person's life, we don't prosecute you. Um, Minutes matter. Uh, You may have more time. It depends on how much fentanyl, how much opioids actually in their system as to how quick they potentially could overdose. But um, again, if you want to do a quick test, you can do the sternum rub. And if they don't react, if you don't have Narcan, call 911. It literally could save somebody's life. Oh, it just, I get chills up and down my body back to the bad guys. So we know that they're getting their hands on this all sorts of ways. They're robbing and they're getting, you know, uh, excess medicine that might be left in the medicine cabinet. Um, let's talk about this overseas sort of distribution. How much do we actually know about this? It seemed like not a lot from the documentary that I watched. So what we know, um, by and large, is most of it comes from from Asia and China, uh, and it's typically shipped via the craters, or not the craters, the uh, freight liners through the ocean into Mexico. 
Um, the vast majority, particularly here in Arizona, is controlled by the cartels. I'm not here to scare everybody. We don't have Sicarios in the hills or anything, but the cartels are bringing it over and they're using human beings to smuggle it over. So what happens is if you want to get into the United States, I will make a trade with you. I will help you get across, but you're going to carry this backpack across for me. Probably going to pay me a little bit of money too. And when you get across, you're going to give this backpack to somebody else. We'll take you where you need to go and we part ways. Um, so what's happening is it's really being made there. And then, uh, you know, the cartels and these drug organizations, they're businesses. Uh, they run their business like any other business. And they realize that if I can sell you a $2 pill and get you hooked, you're going to keep using. Mm -hmm. you're keep using. And now I have a customer for a really long time. So that's why they bring things in so cheap. They use the old HP model. Uh, if you remember back in the late 90s, early 2000s, they used to sell these really fancy, expensive printers, and they would sell them pretty cheap, and they would charge, they would get you with the ink on the backside. Oh, yes. It was called a loss leader model. HP would actually lose money on their printers, but they would make so much money on the ink, it would more than, than make up for it. That's what the cartels do. They'll sell your the drugs initially. They'll flood the market and get everybody hooked on it because people chase their greatest high. Fentanyl will give you one of the greatest highs that you can imagine. So they get people hooked on it. They flood it with the market and then they come back and they can then sell it and make huge amounts of profit because once you're addicted, you'll make terrible decisions. You'll rob family members. You'll hurt people that you love. You, you will do terrible things to get your drugs, to get your high. Um, and, and the cartels know that. So they're able to get the raw ingredients. They're able to mix those raw ingredients. They can use pill presses. They can use industrial, uh, essentially mixing machines, and they can make these pills very, very cheaply. I mean, we, we're literally getting millions of pills that we're confiscating as law enforcement, wow. millions that we're pulling off the street. But so street value at two bucks a pop is pretty darn high, but they're not paying this to make it is what you're no, saying. No, it's pennies for them to make it. And that $2, it's going to be $5 soon. And then it's going to be $10 and they're going to increase it right now. They're still flooding the market to try and get everybody they possibly can addicted, but they can make it dirt cheap. I mean, just absolutely dirt cheap because they have the raw ingredients. They make it and they ship it across. Um, and, and that's part of the danger. It, it's there's no regulation. So you could be an addict and, and you could even function being an addict. It's quite possible that you have a friend who's actually addicted to substances. And, you know, for maybe 15 or 20 bucks a day, if you can get your pills for a couple bucks a day, you can actually function. You may not even realize it. You know, they may be addicted to painkillers. There's lots of people, you know, ordinary, regular moms, dads, loved ones, kids that are addicted to pain pills uh, for various reasons that are functioning. And you have no idea, you know, high functioning adults, great jobs, raising kids and everything else. But the danger because of these fentanyl pills not being regulated is your regular supplier is has no control over the quality of the product. Right. You suddenly get a hot batch, which means it has more fentanyl in it than what you were normally expecting. That same amount of drug that you take causes you to overdose. The other thing we have is as human beings, we have a tolerance level. So just alcohol is the best one for me to explain this. You know, the very first time you drank, you probably had a single beer, probably made you a little bit buzzed. Yep. Next time you had a drink, maybe a beer and a half, you know, then you're an old hat shoot. It takes you a six pack before you get that same. Well, the same thing happens with prescription drugs and they have to increase. And what happens is you take of, of a very weak pill, you may need to take two to get that same high. Now, suddenly you get two hot batches. You, you have just absolutely flooded your body with, with opioids and now you're overdosing and you're going to die. I mean, that's some of the danger because there's no regulation. There's no consistency. Wow. Wow. Just blows my mind. So would you say that we, I mean, obviously this is a concern for the entire country, but would you say because we're a border state and that's where it's happening, that we are affected quite heavily? Absolutely. Um, 
every nobody's immune to it, but we get a ton coming through because we are a border state. It does come through there. We know it. Our law enforcement focuses on it. Shoot, the federal government pays our deputies here in Pinal County extra money to go help them pull the stuff off the streets and to help police and to make sure this is there. So yes, Arizona sees a, a disproportionate amount because it gets in and then it, it disperses. You know, it, if you think of us as like almost a processing hub, you know, you build something like we're the Amazon warehouse. I was just going to say. <laughs> yes. But yes, be, because of our proximity, um, because even just the way that our border is, so if you go to California, there's more cities on the border. We don't have a lot of cities actually on the border. And we have, you know, Totono Odom Reservation is a giant reservation that spans hundreds of miles um, where the drugs can come across. And we just don't have the ability to have people there the entire time. So yes, we see more than our fair share of the drugs coming up from our Southern border. So as moms, as parents here, we, we really need to know about this. I mean, is there anything that we haven't discussed yet that you feel, again, moms and as parents here dealing with this here and now need to know? I have to be very careful how I answer this, but um, I can tell you how I was raised. Uh, I was raised that, that I would be shamed into not doing something. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I would be embarrassed. I would be told how wrong it was. Um, and quite frankly, it was effective. That, that worked for me because I don't like to be embarrassed. I don't like to be shamed. Um, I learned pretty quickly. Um, but what we have found is, is particularly with addiction, that doesn't work. So threatening your, your kid, taking their phone away, the things that, that we think just based on how we were raised, that'd be the easiest way to address it. It doesn't address addiction. Addiction is so powerful. It overcomes every other desire that they have. Um, when, they, when they are fiending, when they need that, it does not matter. Um, so it's really more about a relationship. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm not one of those people that's saying, you know, you need to be your kid's best friend because you don't, you have to be a parent, but you also have to have a relationship. A parent doesn't mean that you're nothing but a, a punitive, you know, punishment meeting person. You, you need to have that relationship where if your kid comes to you and they tell you that they need help, you need to get them help. Mm -hmm. um, you need to get them the services that they need um, because it's not just them, it's their friends, it's everybody in the community. And it, it's, it's not a reflection on you as a parent. It's not a reflection of you as a grandmother, an aunt, an uncle, a loved one, a guardian. Um, this, is, this poison is just flooding our streets. Um, it is dirt cheap. Again, it's cheaper than fast food is right now. I can't even buy a pack of gum for $2, but I can get you a fentanyl pill where you can get high. Uh, it's being force fed to these kids. It's being told how wonderful it is. And the problem is, look, I've never used fentanyl, but you know, I, I've had serious injuries and I can tell you the relief um, that, that some of these opioids and medicines can give you. It's inexcribable, um, indescribable, excuse me. Mm -hmm. so what happens is they use it this one time and it is just the greatest feeling in the world. And then they get hooked and then their bodies actually change and their bodies become dependent on it. And it's physically painful for them to actually get away from it. And just the way that they process with the, the you know, being a kid, being a kid's tough. You know, you're, you're going to get a girlfriend who's going to make fun of you or a boyfriend who's going to dump you. You're, you're going to, you know, this friend's going to happen. This girl's going to develop breasts and you're not going to, you know, whatever it is, this kid's going to become the most popular kid you used to hang out with. And now you're not, and you're dealing with all of these emotions and you've got all of these you know, chemicals and, and hormones that are coming into you. And then finally you, you take, do this one thing and it makes you happy and it takes away all of that bad stuff. It's alluring, it's addictive. And if we as parents really just try and beat it out of your kids, um, we found it's not been successful and it ultimately could have fatal consequences. Now that's not a, I'm not blaming parents whatsoever. 
In fact, I'm really nervous. I have three boys of my, of my own, my yeah, wife yeah. and I do, and, and I'm really nervous as they come into this age. Um, but it, it has to be a conversation. They have to understand why. And they, you as a parent, you as a guardian, you as a, a trusted adult have to be somebody that these kids can come to and ask for help and not be afraid that, that you're going to you know, shame them, embarrass them, that you're going to punish them. Absolutely. What phenomenal advice. I mean, thank you so much. I think that is excellent advice. And, you know, having, I'm 42 years old, so I've had a couple of surgeries in my lifetime. And like you said, it's really easy. Like, you know, I've had pain pills that have been prescribed to me because of surgery. And man, you know, I can remember one time I had a, a surgery on a Friday and by Monday, I was feeling like, hey, man, I have to stop taking these pills because I feel like it's becoming a problem. And, and, and it's, it's so easy for that to happen. Absolutely. I mean, it does. It's, we actually changed the law um, about three years ago in the state of Arizona where you're not supposed to get more than a five-day script for pain pills at first for that very reason. We know at day five, it is common that you start developing addiction and, and it actually starts changing you. So yeah, it, it's, it's not something that we should be ashamed of. I mean, we have these super powerful meds that help us recover from surgeries, but they are designed to make us dependent upon them. So yeah, it, it is a scary thing. And again, this isn't just a kid problem. This is your fellow mom problem. This is your husband's. These are your significant others. These are your wives. This is everybody in our community problem. Absolutely. And it makes a lot of sense what you said about the five day thing. I didn't know that, but that's great because once I stopped taking them on Monday, man, I'd never been so depressed in my life. I mean, it's just a, it's a huge come down. Right. And so that's what these kids are probably experiencing. And then they're going back out and dropping their two bucks again and, and getting the day's worth. That's Wow. I mean, my mind is blown. Thank you so much for this. Thank you so much for spending your time giving us this information. Um, like I had mentioned before we hopped on the show, this is something that just scares the daylights out of me. And it's a conversation that I've been having with a lot of mom friends. So thank you for filling in those gaps. Um, if any of our audience members, and I suggest that they do, would like to follow you and kind of just keep up with what's going on in the Pinal County Attorney's Office, how could they best do that? <laughs> the website. <laughs> so, so we do. I know we have a Twitter handle. We have a Facebook. Um, and I think it's just Pinal County Attorney. Uh, so I, I tr we try not to get too, too crazy. We do try and do some updates and some information. Um, I'm not really big into the social media. Um, I, I wish I had a better, better answer for you. Maybe Letitia can, can help a little bit and give you some information on that. Um, yeah. I, I do. I say this in all sincerity, though. I, I really appreciate what you're doing, getting this information out. I mean, Part of it is getting real information out, having real conversations with people. So your willingness to bring me on, again, this is not an easy topic. I know there's a bunch of your listeners that, that have, gonna, have probably been personally impacted by this, and they're going to hate hearing some of this. Um, but this is information that's really designed to be frank and candid to really save people's lives. Um, and that's, I told you, I, I, at Pinal County, there's two overdoses. We're six... 7% of the state, we're seeing two overdoses. I, so I don't care where you're at. You're seeing it per day, per day. We're seeing that's law enforcement, EMT being called out to a scene because somebody's overdosing. Um, it, it's heart wrenching and it's awful, but I, I genuinely, I thank you for sharing this information, having difficult conversations and making sure people have the information that they need. Also hopefully take some of the stigma away from this. 
Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you saying that. And it's just really, really been important to us as a group to get the right information out to our parents. Because I mean, as you know, there you can find anything that you want. There's a lot of misleading information. There's a lot of just no, like just wrong information out there. Um, and I will uh, link your Facebook page because I know where it is and I like okay. it. I will link your Facebook page to the show notes so that our audience can follow you. Kent, thank you again so much. And all of you out there, if you're interested in being a guest on the show, please follow us at Mom Nation USA. That is our handle. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. I don't know. I don't handle it either, Kent. I have somebody that handles it for me too. But I think all those things. <laughs> and please, while you are at it, um, while you are listening to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform, please subscribe, download, rate us, and help us get this real information out to the people that need to hear it. Ken, thank you. Kent, sorry. Thank you again so, so much. Thank you and take care. You too. Bye-bye. With aspiration, moms are inspirations, moms in circulation, moms at their workstations. Bump, 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 they make a nation, bump, this is a mom nation.